0: Hey, we are in the exciting workbook called Intro to Apologetics, that's right, and we're dealing and we have been dealing for quite some time now on the issue specifically on the existence of God. And by way of recap, uh, we've already saw in chapter one that uh, how do you know that God exists, okay? And that does anybody ever ask you that question? Well, how do you know, Christian, right? So we take a look at it to give a defense, apologetics, apologia, everything has a beginning was one argument for the existence of God, right? So if there was a beginning, there must be a beginner, okay? And we saw that uh, we know that all of life, even the evolutionists, even the non-Christians would say that everything just came into being. Well, what does that logically imply? Who's the capital B? Where'd it come from, right? Because something doesn't come from nothing. Okay, so that is an existence for God. Then we saw the number two in the chapter two, the argument for design, the teleological argument, okay? If you see design in everything, it implies a designer. If you see design in a watch, it came from a watchmaker if you see design in this world it must have come from a world maker if he designed in us it was a people maker you guys are catching on maybe all right. so the design that's another argument for the existence of god then we saw woo, we took a little detour said well wait a second what about the skeptics they say well what about evolution we don't need no god there is no design excuse me 42 week detour the witness of creation we went through that whole thing as well as that chapter number three then last time we're here we went back to all right here's another argument for the existence of God. Nobody's going to stand before God and say, I didn't have enough proof that you... Yeah, there's plenty of proof. And that was the argument of morals, okay? Where in the world did this ability, no matter what the culture is, wherever it is on the planet, uh, even if they never had a copy of the Bible, as Paul says in Romans chapter 2, why is it that people have this innate knowledge inherently that it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to murder? Where did they... How did they... They never even came across the Ten Commandments. Where did this universal moral law come from? Logically, a universal moral law giver okay but ultimately even if you get this far with the non-christian and or, or the skeptic okay it's usually going to eventually get down to this point and it's going to get down to the point is your source of truth right now for you and i we would say well that's easy that comes from the bible okay is but then what is usually the typical response well, how do you know the Bible really came from God? Okay, and that's what we're going to deal with in the next couple chapters, right? And get that ingrained in our heads. No, we know it's from the God, right? But we're going to get equipped again with practical facts, how we know it really did come from God. But let's take it, before we get started, let's go with this issue of truth, right? When you and I are discussing truth, it comes out of the Bible, right? And we already got to deal with people who doubt the Bible, so they don't really want to listen to what we say, right? Because they just don't believe in the authority of the Bible. They think it's a book whooped up by a man full of errors and contradictions, right? And that's not true. And we'll get into that, Lord willing, in great detail. But when it comes to their source of truth, you could always flip it around. But what's your source of truth? And if you pay attention, this helps you when it comes to witnessing and giving a defense for your faith, because it's all over the place, right? And one thing that people is really today, especially because we feed this in secular society, is it's self. Self gets to determine what is true Right And that's what we saw a little bit last week with morals with what was called relativism, whatever you believe is true to you, whatever I believe is true to me, I get to make that excuse me. I like what one guy said. we've talked about this before said so, I mean, think of the audacity of that statement right in, in order for you to determine that which is true, even on spiritual matters, then you must know everything right how could you how could you right and like one guy, he did this in a debate in a high school actually and uh he actually challenged one of the uh, kids in the, the uh, auditorium there about, well, excuse me. He says, so, so you are the one, you are, you, you're your own God. You get to make up what's right and wrong. You get to determine truth. He says, absolutely. He said, well, okay, well, well, you seem like a smart guy. How much do you think you know? Do you think you know everything that there ever is to know? Well, no, of course not. He says, well, but, but you seem pretty smart. But how about just for the sake of argument, we say that you know 50%. You know half of everything ever to be known in all of life, in all of the universe. And he said, you know, the guy's kind of good, yeah, feeling pretty good about himself, right? And he says, well, could it be that God exists in the other half? New thought went in his head, right? But see, that's the illusion of self, right? In order for you to be dogmatic that you know the truth, you make up the truth, by definition, you'd have to be a supreme being. Right? But that's what is being uh, fed today. Now, why is it being fed today? Because what is the mantra of the world today? Whether it's television, whether it's a secular education, whatever. It's all about self, right? Self-love, self-esteem, self-self, self-self, self That's not what the Bible teaches. It's savior esteem, savior respect. Jesus Christ, God comes first. You want to be his disciple? You deny yourself. In fact, you want to esteem somebody? Scripture says, esteem others better than yourself, right? We have this natural propensity for self-love. Jesus flips it around and says, no, you love God first, then your neighbor. Right? You get busy doing that, right? but that's not what the world does. So people think that they determine that. Okay. Now, another thing that people do, uh, I don't know if we'll get that far, <laughs> especially now, <laughs> Anyway, is what they'll say is they might even be uh, Christians, and they might say the right thing, like, oh, well, the, where we get truth from is right here. It's from the Bible, right? from the Word of God, solo scriptura, only from the Bible. That determines our final rule of faith and practice. Well, the practice is not just that. They'll even determine self, or they'll go by opinion of others or popular or peers, right? What their friends think or what their teacher says, right? So so even there's that pressure because they've been immersed and educated in the thinking of this world, they think worldly and bring that into the church. But sometimes in the church, people spiritualize it, okay? And what they say is, I got a word from God. That's one of the most dangerous statements you could hear. Really, so you got a word from God, right? Uh, you better be very careful with that. Because what does the Bible say that anybody who says, what is the, that's it, what's the Bible? What does the Bible say anybody who claims to have a word from God, i.e. be a prophet of God, that God is actually putting his words in your mouth to tell others, his people, what's the penalty if you get something wrong? Old Testament is you were stoned. And that's not with some thing. That's a rock hitting you in the head. You got to say it nowadays, especially since they pass the laws. Okay. No, you are, they kill you. Why? Because the audacity of you to say that uh, this came from God and then it wasn't true, who does that really impugn? That's to the holy character of God. God does not lie. So it's, it's very serious, but people play fast and say, well, God told me this, or God told me that, or God has a word for me. You got to, whoa. I think I'll stick to the tried and true word. If I want to get a word from God, I'll stick here, right? Because people can involve their feelings and whatever, etc. There, and we talked about this before, but sometimes when you're witnessing to other people, you've got you to wade through self, right? They'll sit there, they'll mock you and I say, oh, you guys are the Bible, you're brainwashed. Excuse me, but let's talk about where you discern truth from. Yourself. And logically, that's absurd. You can't know everything, so is that really a good place? to? Oh, by the way, uh, these, we're talking spiritual matters. We're talking eternity, right, as you're going to determine truth. Do you really want to risk it? Right? I mean, I, I mean, you think that everybody's naturally going to go to heaven. All right? W- what if I'm wrong? Right? What if you're wrong? Do you really want to risk it? You know, So anyway, but then you've got to deal with people. you got to weigh through their opinion or their peers or that's what my teacher said or so society says or that's what the polls say or whatever, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then people you know, kind of spiritualize it. But another one that we have, if you've gone out there with, a, for instance, like with a, a Catholics. Catholics, we talked before, are sometimes very hard to uh, witness to because they don't have one source of truth. There's four. Now, they say the Bible, but the Bible in the Catholic Church is not, by and large, promoted encouraged to study, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. But then what they say is that they also get their source of truth from the Pope, from the church councils, okay? And the early church what's the fathers. And every single one of these is man, right? So 75% of their source of truth, and I think this one's really down way low, okay, uh, comes from man. So do you think that's a reliable source? right? No, not at all, okay, as what we've seen before. But then if you go down to some of the cults, And the occult, okay, they have a basis for their belief systems, what they would consider as true, their authority. Uh, Mormons would say, we have the the writings from who? Joseph Smith. And as we saw before, and we looked into that, where did he get his source of truth? He stared in a hat, right? Went into this trance, right? He was also involved in witchcraft, right? He was uh, into, uh, ripped off a bunch of things from Freemasonry, Right? And so he got this, and he got some weird vision, and some angel uh, supposedly gave him all this truth. Is is that a good source? Right? Especially when you go and you look, and it's it's full of contradictions. No. You got the same thing with the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? And they have a perverted text, okay, of the scripture. They change the scripture, not a good thing to do, number one. But really, they don't even follow the scripture. They basically follow the leaflets and the pamphlets and all the stuff that comes out of uh, the Watchtower Society. Okay? And oftentimes, it's just a script that they're given if they try to witness to you. Same thing with Mormons. And once you find out their script, and once you start knowing how to witness to them biblically, you get them off their script, it doesn't take much when you get equipped, and it just starts to fall apart. Okay? So by way of nature, even though you and I might get hassled with the Bible, you're brainwashed, you source of truth, that's not reliable. Keep in mind, Christian, flip it around. Okay? You don't have to always be on the defensive and apologize for being a Christian. That's not apologetic. You give a defense. You can be on the defense and flip it around. Well, what's your source of truth? Where do you get it from? And start putting some new brain in thoughts. Really? Do you know everything? So, so every opinion you've ever heard in society is true? Nobody's ever been wrong? You're going to base your eternal destiny on that? We all know polls are always right. Yeah, I don't think so. And you're going to have some body that looks at you with one eye squinting and saying, I got a word from God. And somebody who was involved in, in witchcraft and, and listened to demons and you're going to follow that don't think so. So you flip it around and that's an interesting thing to look at. But we're going to get into tonight, how do you really know, practically, aside from all that, that's your little intro, how do you know the Bible really came from God? Okay, let's take a look at page 39 there, uh, chapter 5. It says, Christians believe that God has communicated, that's your first blank there, communicated with us through the Bible. Well, how do we know, how do we judge whether this is true or not? What evidence uh, is there that the Bible is trustworthy, reliable, and any different than other sacred religious books? And when people ask you that question, you just need to run and flee. No. When people ask you that question, you say, you goober, why would you even ask that? No. In fact, what I say is like, you know what, that's a fantastic question. I used to have the same question before I got saved. It's a great question. It's a logical question. It's a good question. The problem is, you and I, and this is why we're getting equipped, I'm sorry, you can't say this anymore. Well, uh, you, you just got accepted by faith. That doesn't fly. And that's where we're going to get equipped on practical information. And, and by the way, that statement, and we oftentimes say this as Christians when we, we feel like we're backed up to the wall. The only reason why you're backed up to the wall is because it's a sign you're not equipped. And you haven't taken the time to get equipped to give a defense for the hope that lies within you. How is that much different say, well, you just, uh, just, just got to uh, accept it by faith and you'll know it's God's word. How is that much of a different step than the Mormons who base their whole eternal destiny on this statement? Well, I prayed about it and I had a burning in the bosom. Maybe it was a bad burrito. And that's called heartburn with all due respect. Sound like Wilbur tonight. I don't know what's going on. Reading me a piece of gum. Uh, excuse me? No, that's not, that's not good, right? So if we wouldn't accept that from them, then why do we expect the lost to accept that statement from us? So let's get equipped with some facts. In the next two chapters, we're going to take a look at two questions. Number one, if God wrote a book, what sort of qualities would you expect from it? Right? That's the premise, and that's a good question. That's a logical inference, right? Nothing to be ashamed about. Don't need to run from that. Number two, does the Bible display then, let's put it to the test, qualities and characteristics we would expect if, in fact, it was from God? Right? And, of course, the answer is yes, and that's what we're going to take a look at. Number one, if God wrote a book, we would expect he would uh, tell us that, quote, he wrote it. Is your next blank there? He wrote it. Right? Now, why do you think, logically, that would be uh, something you'd expect from God if he authored the book, i.e., the Bible? Because he wrote the Bible. I mean, he thinks of everything. Obviously, he's God, right? And we all know, as Christians, that God wrote the Bible because... This is, this is, you don't read it. <laughs> come on, no. And you don't get this little skinny little baby-looking thing like I got. <laughs> no, you get that big family Bible that's like eight feet across, right? And you have to put it on a steel coffee table, right? And the only purpose of that thing is so when your friends come over, or if the pastor does a house call, it's right there in front for everybody. Wow, look how spiritual you are. Or worst case scenario, if your house is getting robbed, you got something to defend. No, don't do that. Okay, but (laughs) is that what the Bible's for? I don't think so. Okay, why did God give us the Bible? To impress other people, right? No, to read it and understand and to know truth. God is truth. God wants us to know the truth. Why? Because the truth sets us free, not only in salvation, but even after we get saved, in there tells you how to grow up and to be a mature Christian, right? And to get to know him better. If you love him, man, that's awesome right? But if it really did come from him, then you would expect him to say, hey, I want you to get this loud and clear. I wrote this book. That's logical, right? Well, let's take a look at the facts. In the Old Testament alone, in the Old Testament alone, there's over 3,800 claims that the scriptures are ultimately from God. That's just the Old Testament. How many guys would say that "Mm, it would appear that God is trying to get something through our heads and I don't know, maybe we're getting a word from God about the word. (laughs) No, he didn't just say once, just the Old Testament, almost 4,000 times. What's God trying to tell us? If there's one thing I don't want you ever to doubt, it's that this book came from me. Why else is he saying it so many times? over and over again. Now, we've talked about this before, but this actually is a very important point. People say, well, that's just circular reasoning. You know, you're going to say that the Bible came from God because it says it came from God. No, right? Even Aristotle knew that when he said this, the benefit of the doubt is to be given to the document itself, in this case, the Bible, okay, not arrogated to the critic himself. And this is what people are doing today. They're basically what Aristotle is saying is you have to give, if you're going to validate a document, in this case, our example, the Bible. If it's authentic, uh, authenticated, if it's true, if it holds authority, if it came from God, then you've got to go in, both eyes open, no preconceived ideas, and just deal with the facts. right? You watch those detective shows, you just deal with the facts. right? You find clues, you deal with it. right? You don't say, well, I know it's this way. No, because that could cloud things. You've just got to assess the information. And so the first step, if you're going to say this really did come from God, you've got to let the document speak for itself. You may not agree with it, but you ha- if you're honest... What does this book say? This book says over and over again, "This came from God." So hey, maybe it came from God, but he, it came from him because he wants us to be in there uh, to grow. He says this. In fact, the Bible claims that it comes from the very breath of God. Is your next blank there? Very breath of God. OK? Second Timothy 3:16, all Scripture. How much scripture? All Scripture came from the hand of God, and we all know that it was just passed down over generation, and it was just like that scenario where, you know, you, 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 in, in you know, Sunday school class and youth group, you know, you, there's 20 kids, right? And they start over here, and they say, hey, uh, good news, Scott bought uh, a cattle ranch, right? And then they tell that story to the next person, the next person, the next person, and by the time it gets over here, it's at Tom and says, chicken is wonderful. Obviously, that's wrong. Right? It got me- but we all know that's how the Bible came to be, right? All Scripture came from the hand of man, it says there. It's full of contradictions. There's no way. What's it say? God breathed. Who overshadowed the process of what we have today? It's, a- it's from God. Why would he do that? Because God's not a liar, and he wants us to know this book came from him, and he wants us to know the truth. So he's going to make sure it's secure, right? All Scripture is God breathed, and it's useful. I've got to kick this every time I hit it and come across as teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Right? You got four things going on there for those of you hooked on fractions or math, right? You got four things, so each one of those is worth how much of a value? 25%. You guys are accountants, give me a hand clap there. Right? So, according to this, you got 25% teaching, right? Is is one of them there. Uh, one of them was uh, training in righteousness, but what were those two in the middle? They're tucked away rebuke and correct, all right? So that means, according to biblical math, 50% of the time, if you are being trained in all scripture, how much of the time should you be going, mm, ouch, ooh. Half the time. What do you see in churches today? They focus on this one, and this one and frankly not even that just a bunch of stories made up a lot right or pop psychology build up your self-esteem right so according to the scripture all scriptures from god it's useful for why? what's it say there because god wants to ruin he wants to he wants you to feel horrible like a slime ball and he's trying to ruin your day tom no what's the purpose it's for your good right anybody ever been corrected and it was is a good thing right remember ever rebuked and positive results Right? teaching great training in righteousness, but those aren't bad things, those are good. right? And that's what he says there. Why? Uh, he, it is for the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, so that's what we see. It came, not only God is emphatic, he wrote this thing, it came from the very breath of God, but the Bible claims that God inspired people. Now this is him leading it. And this is important because, again, I I joked about it, but this is all seriousness. You're going to have the non-Christian skeptic come up to you and say, well, you can't trust the Bible because how do you know that it's accurate? Because I'm sure they just told some story, and then over the years, you mean to tell me they copied it right and they got the story? That's not how it happened. When they say those comments, they're ignorant of how the Bible was transmitted to us. And this is what we see. God inspired people. God is the one who's overshadowing the process. He inspired people to write exactly what he wanted them to write common sense right why because God wants to make sure it's accurate why because God doesn't lie right and that's what he says there second Peter chapter 1 above all you must understand that no prophecy no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation this is not just a man-centered thing for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along is your keyword there carried along by the spirit now they carried along there in the Greek literally means it's like a driven, the picture that's used there uh, is uh, driven along by the wind, like like a sail uh, on a ship, right? And this is the word that's used here to talk about how biblical uh, inspiration took place. One guy puts it this way, just as men in a boat have the freedom to move around in the boat, right? Okay. Even though the boat is actually being controlled by the wind, like a sailing ship, Okay, so it is with the process of biblical inspiration. The writers of the Bible had the ability to express their own personality and writing style, right? But the process was being carried along by God. And that's exactly what you see uh, in the scripture, right? You see, Paul writes different than John writes, than what Peter writes, right? Paul uses sarcasm, right, and things of that nature. Certain personality characteristics come out when you read that, okay, uh, and things of that nature. Uh, and, and so, th- so obviously, that's their personality. This is really what it was. But God was the one who was guiding the process, okay, as we see there. Now, again, they'll say, well, I, I still don't think that's trustworthy. Really, you don't think that's trustworthy, okay? But again, listen to what other people uh, will listen to instead of the word of God. Okay, and and they they sit there and want to scoff and say, well, I, I okay, yeah, okay, of course you're going to say that God guided the whole process, but uh, this, I'm sure they made a mistake. Some really, let's take a look at some other people who get other sources of inspiration, and you tell me if they're reliable. Okay, certainly as reliable as what God does. Uh, you guys ever hear the Oracle of Delphi? That was huge. Okay biblical times and certainly even beyond, but for many centuries, people went to this supposed source of prophetic truth, and it started one day, here's how all this happened, when a goat herder noticed his sheep acting strange as they peered into a particular chasm. It turned out that there were gaseous vapors coming out of this particular chasm uh, that caused them to become, quote, agitated and frantic. So soon these brain-altering vapors uh, became uh, the source of divine inspiration and other people began inhaling these vapors so they could prophesy. They literally, if you look at some of the artwork back then, they would have the prophetess seated over this gaseous vapor, poisonous vapor, right? They're just like, ooh, you know, like, I'm not saying it was like laughing gas. Uh, but, you know, you get a, a vapor can have effects like laughing gas on your brain. So this was coming out of the earth, and they would set her up over like in a tripod and literally would sit there. And then they would come and pay big bucks to get a prophecy from the Oracle of Delphi to tell them whether they should attack a city, whether they're going to have victory, are they going to be the one who's elected, and other questions, right? Over a lady who is on a tripod over a gaseous, brain-altering fume hole in the ground. Yeah, and we're weird for believing in the Word of God. (laughs) You gotta be. Uh, Automatic writing. Some people, you need to bring this out because this is, uh, we've talked about this before. You know, when you talk about being carried along by the Holy Spirit, right? You know, it, with the scripture, God used the men's anal- uh, personalities and stuff. And people say, well, yeah, that's like automatic writing, right? And if you're not familiar with that, that's, that was, uh, still is to my knowledge. in New Age came out of that. I've actually seen some of this, we talked before, in the church, in some of the charismatic circles. And basically automatic writing is you become possessed, you know, by a spirit and then all of a sudden, you're not, you're not cognizant. I mean, your eyes are rolled back in your head. You're in an altered state of consciousness. And these things are you know, supposedly writing through you. Right? You look actually at a lot of New Age books, okay? And they freely admit that these spirits contacted them and, uh, and they would say, man, we, I was up for three days nonstop, and this is where this book came from but this automatic right i actually i shared this story before but i'm not kidding you when i was in bible college i had this one guy come up to me and it it, it some some charismatic hyper charismatic uh, circles and uh he said oh because there was always this latest trend go see this latest guy he's doing this latest healing or he's got this latest teaching and there's latest gizmo how you can get rich and get and all this right and the latest night kids unite was some the, the spirit of god the movement of god right and it was it was an uh i was like a, a year out of a new age right being a young christian and he brings me this piece of paper and it's just all all scribbled. He says, Yeah, we were all praying, we all got together, right? And the Spirit of God came all over us. And I started writing, you know, it's it's Holy Spirit writing or whatever he says. Well, first of all, it wasn't I'm not making this up. He said, I said, dude, that's just scribbling. I mean he had page after page after page. And he said, Well yeah, see, see, but see, keep keep going, because over here, uh so and so had the gift of interpretation, and they told me what the in the church. That's our source of truth? Are you going to base your eternal destiny on that? That's not a far cry from getting over some gaseous fumes, which I don't recommend. Uh, Mormonism. We talk about Mormonism and jo- Joseph Smith and things of that nature. Uh, what, you know, Staring in a hat, performing uh, witchcraft rituals. Is, is, is that a good place for... No. Okay. Again, people would laugh at you and I oh, you mean to, uh, come on, are you serious? This is really reliable. This came from God, and, and, and God overshadowed the process and carried him along and whatever exists, right? They'll laugh at that, they'll mock at that, but they'll listen to somebody, like we talked before, like Nostradamus. Herodomus. You hear, hear of him? Nostradamus, right? And I'll, I'll just give you that one example we talked about before, but this brings up. Uh, and he wrote a bunch of what are called quatrains, okay? And uh, listen to this one. The year 1999, seven months. From the sky will come the great king of terror to resuscitate the great king of the Mongols. Before and after, Mars reigns my good luck. At 45 degrees, the sky will burn fire to approach the great new city. In an instant, a great scattered flame will leap up when one will want to demand proof of the Normans. Whether you guys realize or not what you just heard, predicted long before it ever happened, 9-11. What? After 9-11, his books went again because people would believe this. You examine it, it's like, excuse me? And they'll say something like this, 9-11, right? And they'll say, well, is not too far off from 2001. What? I'm not making this up. And they'll say, well, and the references there of fire and terror in the sky sounds like an aerial attack, right? And then they'll say, well, New York City is, is close to a... 45 degree latitude, it's actually 40. And then they don't answer some obvious things like, okay, who is the great king of the Mongols? What does this have to do with the planet Mars? And who on the 9-11 commission demanded proof from the Normans? And you'll sit there and buy books from this guy. And at the same time, you'll sit there and look at the Christian. You and I go, oh, you guys are brainwashed. How could you? This is what I'm saying. We're going to get equipped with... Facts that we can share, but tonight I want to get you... Listen, you don't always have to feel like, oh, flip it around. Get them to think. What's your source of truth? What are you believing in? You'll sit there and buy this guy's... can, Can we talk about this guy? You're going to believe in that, but you're going to mock this? Oh, by the way, have you ever read this? Most people, I used to be one, who mock at the Scripture, you need to ask them this question. Oh, so you think that the Bible... Is not reliable. It's a book whooped up a man full of heirs. Show me. Well, yeah, everybody knows it. Or you can go online. You could look no, no, you show me. Because you made that statement with such great authority. Right? Most people have never even read the Bible. I was i I'd be the first thing. And what they're doing is they're parodying what the media and the secular education and the scoffing society wants you to think about the Bible. It's not even their own independent thought because they're logically honest, like Aristotle, and they're given the document of the benefit of the doubt, and they've done this grand research. Oh, by the way, even if you did read the Bible once, does that make you a master of it? To have an authority? So absolutely no way. No. So flip it around, right? You're going to mock that. You don't even read it. How could you, how could you say that? It's hypocritical. I'm the one that's being brainwashed. Why don't you get in there and you prove me wrong? Flip it around. That's what I want to encourage you. Uh, tonight. But oh, no, yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, with uh, uh, Nostradamus, we talked before. His method was to stare into these bowls, right? It was a methodol- uh, methodology called scrying, which is witchcraft. In fact, he even told his son that he knew because of this he was doomed straight to hell. Listen to this little snippet that he warned his son. This is from Nostradamus. He beseeched his infant son never to dabble in such practices. He said they desiccate or dry up the body, disturb the mind, send the soul to perdition. And for that reason, he burned to ashes the ancient books he learned these techniques from. Uh, and when he did, they burned with an unnatural brilliance. Right? Now, this is already past, but this will show you how easy, even in the church. You guys remember this? Remember what happened around 2012? And not just because of that jamming movie that was out. What well, was the big hype leading up to that? Mayan prophecy. And did you notice any Christians getting sucked into that? Oh, well, it's got to be the rapture Well, the Mayans. And they, they started to bend, they started to slide. It's like, whoa, wait a second. Have you s- investigated who the Mayan people were in their Mayan calendar? Oh, they were so awesome at their calendar that they clearly predicted their own demise. No. need. It's nothing. The only thing that ended in 2012 was the Mayan calendar and their prediction. right? It wasn't the end of the world. And, and And if you guys remember, in here, we knew, vocally said, it's not going to happen. Nothing's going to happen on that date in 2012. Why? Because it's not the end of the world. Because God says, no one knows that they know they are. So we can confidently say, that's going to be a bunch of baloney long before it happened. Remember that? But Christians, I was appalled. It's like, how are you sliding on that? And and, and again, the non-Christian will sit there and go, "Oh, you guys are crazy. You know, there's no force. right." And it's like, well, Christian, you who are getting sucked into this, have you? Okay, you know, this came from God. And again, we haven't even got into logical, practical reasons why. You know, but but. Have you looked in to see where these Mayan people got their source of truth? Who were those people? They took drugs. They got into drugs, altered states of consciousness, right? Into sorcery. They were into human sacrifice, auto-sacrifice, killed themselves, because they believed that the, the sun was powered by human blood, and they needed to keep doing that in order to keep the sun going. And, and you're going to listen to them over the word of God? I mean, put it together. I, the Word of God was written over 1500, 1600 years by 40 different authors, 40 different generations, never once contradicts itself. It came from God, but we're going to listen to guys who practiced witchcraft, knew they were going to hell, did drugs, and killed people just to keep the sun going. Oh, yeah, we're crazy. We're brainwashed. I say this because I'm encouraging you to flip it around. When you get equipped, you're confident. Because when you know the truth, the truth always wins. Always. You don't have to walk around, oh, he's going to ask me. Bring it on. All right? Just get equipped with the facts. But again, the, the world always puts us in a position acting like we, we have to. No, the proof is on you. You tell me why the word of God is not true. Let's talk about that. I'll give you some stuff. But you let me flip it around on you for once. You give me your you're just making a, a blanket statement. Prove it. Show me, and we'll deal with that, even if you did come up with something, right? But can we also talk about something? Where is your source of truth? Because everybody has one. And which one's more secure? Which one's more trustworthy over the years? Which one proves itself more genuine? And that's what we see, okay? So let's move on. So we inspired people uh, to write exactly what he wanted. Jesus described the Scriptures as the very word that comes from the mouth of God. All right. Hey, we made it through a page. Let's cruise now. Uh number 2, if God wrote a book, we would expect it would be a very popular book. Why? I Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just a weird chrome theory, Tom, but I'm thinking like, okay, newspaper versus a book that came from the creator of the universe who's super powerful, the biggest, awesome, most incredible. I maybe that's why. what <laughs> So if it did come from God, then you would think that it would... Well, guess what? That's what we see. No book in the world even begins to approach the Bible in terms of circulation and popularity. No other book has been translated more than the Bible. Complete books of the Bible have been translated over 2,300 plus times. The entire Bible has been published in over 400 languages. The entire New Testament has been published over 1,000 different languages. The Bible can now be read by 90% of the world population in their own language, and we are less than a generation away from the Bible becoming the world's first universally translated book. The Bible is the best-selling book internationally. We've talked about this before. Every year it tops the New York Seller's Times list, but they leave it off because it would be there every single year. And no book has ever had more influence on history, civilization, ethics, art, music, literature, architecture, philosophy, politics, even our calendar is all influenced from the Word of God. I'd say it's a little bit popular. I mean, have you ever read something from man, and then you read the Bible. Wow. Right? No wonder. And he says their calendar, okay? That's where we get, you ever thought, of mean, gee. Yeah, the Bible has no influence on nothing. Let's <laughs> make calendar. B.C. and A.D. B.C. stands for before Christ. A.D. stands for, here's your trick question tonight. Well, you guys are... Give yourself a hand clap there. Is it after death? No. And a dominion, which means year of our Lord, okay, uh, B.C. and AD. But have you noticed what our anti-God world is doing? BCE, before the Common Era. They just cannot stand saying the name Jesus or Christ. Interesting. So they're trying to rip it out. But it's too late. It's already there. Number three, if God wrote a book, okay, and and what he says there, there's been more books written about the Bible than any other book. And this is in the history of mankind on the whole planet, by the way. Number three, if God wrote a book, we would expect it to be timeless. Timeless is your blank there. Think about the history books, the maps, scientific literature, encyclopedias. These types of books are reprinted every few years. Sometimes they're outdated uh, before they even come to the press. You ever read an article and then go back maybe two days later? You ever look at the very end? Uh, we made a mistake in the second paragraph, and it's actually Bob Jones as opposed to Earl Slooby or whatever, right? You didn't even last two days you made a mistake, right? But then he says this. He says, most men can't even agree with their own writings after 10 years. try I love this analogy. Try getting 10 science textbooks spread over 20 or 30 years together and then compare them. Even the evolutions we saw before in great detail, even the current textbooks, the evolutionists don't even agree with themselves. But they're not even constant. They keep changing. And part of it is because we keep pointing out the errors. right? Or they change them because they don't want you to come to the logical conclusion. Right? You used to say, even on nature shows, they still do the millions and billions of years ago right? on everything. right? Uh, but uh, they used to say, and it used to be in textbooks. We talked about this before. But in textbooks, when they would talk about certain features of a bird that was absolutely amazing, or a bug, right? and they would say, and... The hummingbird's feathers are de- designed in such a way that they have this amazing, they used to have that in textbooks. They took it out. You know why they took it out? Because design implies a designer, and you can't have the kids think that. So they switched it to this word. The hummingbird has adapted, or adaptation is the word that they use, because they don't, don't say the D word. That's what it is, right? You can't you, you rip out the calendar. You can't say Christ. Don't say d- design because it's logical. What does it imply, right? Our very calendar is built on Jesus Christ, his birth. That's the dividing line. Nope. Can't have people thinking about him. Okay, but let's continue on. So he says, try that. He says, in contrast, the content and the message of the Bible has always remained the same, yet it has never been considered outdated. The Bible speaks to every generation right and i'll even add this it even continues to speak to you even as a christian in the same generation right think about that how many and we do this all the time how many times you hear us as christians say something like this man dude i've read romans chapter 12 i don't know how many times right uh, today i was reading it again and it just i saw something in there right so it's it's applicable to even multitude it's, it's wow You don't get that from reading man's writings and stuff of that nature, is what he says there. So let's continue on. He says, the Bible speaks to every generation. It's universal in its message, giving hope, peace, comfort to people from every nation, every generation for more than 2,000 years, is what he says. The next one, if God wrote a book, we would expect that it would uh, also, he says there, uh, be understood by everyone. Is your blank there? Understood by everyone, is what he says there, okay? There's Christians all over the world, and this proves that every culture can understand and accept the basic message of the Bible. Notice there's not just Christians in just the United States. Notice the, the Bible did not start here and is only from here. right? Notice that the only Christians are the people who go to Sunrise Baptist Church. right? Oh, and by the way, did you know that God would like to have other Christians than us? Turn to somebody and say... Share the gospel, then, right? God wants a bunch of people saved, not just us, right? But this is the proof of the Bible, right? The, wherever the Bible goes, radical changes. Radical changes, right? Why? Because it's a book that can be understood. How many times do you hear people? I can't get into the Bible. I just, you know, I'm not like read. I don't have 900 years in school, and I'm just not. I'm just not that intelligent. i just. I don't have a science degree. I can't. Uh. So God went through all this trouble to write this book so that only people with a high IQ can get it. No, and that's his point. God wrote it because he wants everyone to, understand, and not just high IQ, not a high IQ, uh, young, old, e- even kids. This is what he says. The Bible also appeals to every age. It's both simple and profound. Young children can understand the simple stories of God's love and protection. Yet the most educated scholars are amazed at the Bible's profound depth and complexity. Okay, the Bible is a pool in which a child may wade and the elephant can swim. It's both simple and profound, and it is immediate and never failing. Number five there, okay? And I know what you're thinking. Pastor yes, Billy, my, my textbook doesn't have a number five. It's got a V. <laughs> Roman numerals, all right? If God wrote a book, it would be perfectly unified and harmonious is your next blank there, right? Now, why is that logical? Unified and harmonious. If this really came from God, it has to have this characteristic. God doesn't lie. That's right, Jim, on the back row. God does not lie, right? So it has to be unified. It has to be harmonious, right? Otherwise, it couldn't come from him, right? The Bible is a collection of 66 books written by 40 different people, different cultures, economic background, situations, geographical, educational backgrounds, Uh, some of the writers, all different backgrounds, kings, political, military leaders, uh, shepherds, fishermen, rich people, poor people, uh, tax collector, doctor, over about 1,600-year time span, written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, different continents, Europe, Asia, Africa, uh, contains different styles, uh, of genre, poetry, history, uh, genre, all that stuff. And listen, the writers worked independently from one another at different periods of history. I remember in a secular college before I got saved and was majoring in English, believe it or not, English and philosophy. <laughs> I'm a graduate, IR one. Anyway, English and philosophy. And I remember in philosophy class, that guy was skeptical big time, the teacher, right? Oh, he did not like Christianity. And his whole theory, the class finally evoked it from him, right? And uh, says, well, what do you think about Christianity? And he says, I think it was just a story that the disciples made up. That Jesus, yeah, he's probably a good guy, good teacher. Uh, but, it, you know, their plans got ruined because he died. And so they faked the resurrection and story. And then they just kind of collaborated together. And just that's how Christianity started. Taught in this secular university. Sat there as a non-Christian, Right? And and this is why this point is important, excuse me, with all these different characteristics. Oh, oh, by the way, these guys didn't even know each other, so they can't collaborate. Oh, by the way, they didn't even live in the same time era, right? And they didn't say, well, uh, little Johnny, I'm writing this book down, and I'm going to claim it came from God, but here's what you do. You take this, hold on to it, And then you give it to your son, who will give it to his son, who will give it to his son, who will give it to his son. Because later in about five generations from now, there's going to be another guy who's going to write another book out of 66 total over 1,600 years. And I want to make sure that you hand deliver this to him and then make sure that he reads it, memorizes it, and whatever he comes up with, make sure it doesn't contradict anything I say. And they went through that 66 times and got it right. What? It's crazy to think like that. But what do people do? They'll sit there and say, oh, it's just a book whooped up by a man. Flip it around. Really? Let's talk about that. Do you know anything about the characteristics of the Bible? Let's put that to the test. The burden of proof is on you, uh, not on me, okay? But that's what he says. They didn't even know each other. So how could they collaborate? How could this be a book quoted by man? Yet when these books were collected, put into one volume that we have today, there was perfect harmony of unity-focused message and teaching. There's no contradictions. And he says this. This incredible unity admits such great diversity can be best accounted for by a God- who stands outside of time and history and has weaved each piece into an overall mosaic of truth and hope. Again, God's overshadowing the process, right? Making sure that we've got. Let's take a look at another one real quick. Number six, if God wrote a book, we would expect that it would change lives, right? Change lives, Because we all know that we want to change and we want to grow as Christians. So our morning routine is this. Forget that Bible thing. I'm going to either watch the news or read the newspaper every morning. And then say, I ain't got time for the Bible. Because we all know that when you read that newspaper, it is so inspiring. I mean, you pick that baby up, and the first thing in your brain is, uh, oh, a nuclear bomb, Israel's going to blow up, Iran, hey, murder, ISIS, ISIL, this, uh, hey, somebody robbed a bank, hey, crime rate, the <laughs> economy. Oh, you leave the house so refreshed. You've changed for good. You're on fire as a Christian. It's, oh, It's amazing. Unfortunately, that's what we do oftentimes, isn't it? And then if you start to think about God, don't forget to turn it on at noon. Do it again. On your way home, crack it on the news station. Hey, and just before you go to bed, do it one more time. So plant that with the scripture. You'll change just like that as a Christian. You put God's word, not man's word, in your mind. The Bible does that. You can't do that with man's writing. And that's what he says. If it came from God you'd expect it to have the power to change lives, and it does. The power of the Bible to change individual lives and society for, uh, is for the better is indisputable, right? Millions of people, not uh, five, millions of people throughout history have been changed for the better because they read and followed the teachings of the Bible. Not too long ago, and I love this, you know, people say, oh, the Bible doesn't have any ability to change lives, and it's not important. Really? I love this analogy. This actually, he says, philosopher, is from Robbie Zacharias, And i got a a tape in my office uh, of him doing this in a debate. Uh, He talks about it. He says, not uh, not too long ago, there was a highly publicized debate among a Christian preacher and an atheistic philosopher. The atheist was trying to convince the audience that the Bible is just another book with no inherent power to change lives. So the Christian speaker, Robbie Zacharias, presented the following scenario to the philosopher. What's he doing? He flipped it around. The whole theme for tonight's opening study, flip it around. You don't always have to, oh, no, flip it around. And he asked him this question. He says, so what if you were driving and found yourself lost in a part of the city that was well known for being extremely dangerous and violent? Uh, As you make a wrong turn down a dark alley, all of a sudden your car sputters and then comes to a stop. You try desperately to get the car started again, but it just won't start. You quickly notice a gang of men slowly approaching the car. Here's your question. Would it matter or not to you if you knew that these men were coming from a Bible study or, he adds, not in here, or a bar? Would it matter? Why? After the laughter subsided, the philosopher conceded, yes, I have to admit that it would ease my fears if the gang of men had just come from a Bible study. Why? Oh, you'll get changed if you go to a bar. You'll get inebriated and probably do some dumb things. Anybody been there, done that? Okay. But the good change comes from the Bible. And the world knows it. That's the power of that analogy. You know it. Which would you rather have? A gang of guys coming out of a bar headed your way in a bad neighborhood, or you saw? Oh, it's from the Sunrise Baptist Church. They're going to be off. They're going to help me, right? Okay, think about it. I love this. As we close, he says this. Uh, Forty-two. He says the American Bible Society once conducted an interesting experiment in Chicago. They chose a five-block area in a district with one of the highest crime rates in the city and flooded it with what? Copies of the Gospel of John, the Bible, right? They, include, they included an invitation for anyone who wanted more reading material to send for a copy of these, uh, the complete New Testament. They received many requests, and listen to this. It wasn't just, hey, we went out there and evangelized. This is what you keep hearing from me. You want to make a difference in Las Vegas? Share the Gospel. Watch. The district of police captain later reported, true story, that the crime rate in that area dropped dramatically in one month's time. The same experiment produced similar results in another area with also a high crime rate. Why? Because he says therefore the word of God is living and active. Okay? Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, joints in marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of heart. Okay? Only the God, God's word can change a heart. Because we all know that in order to fix the ills of our society, we need about Ten, 15,000 more laws, because they're working so good. External laws can never change a man's heart. Getting God's law inside of your heart can. not right? We all know that if we're going to fix the ills of our society, we just need to launch a bunch of programs in society, you know, to keep them active, you know, basketball leagues and stuff like that, that'll keep people from committing crimes. It might distract them for a little while. But does it change the heart? No. And this is why I said, and I see this happen all the time. We as Christians here, in, anybody want to hope and wish that? I believe clearly we're in the last days. Don't know the day, don't know the hour. Wouldn't it be cool? We've said this many times before. If God had one true, genuine revival, if you will, for America up at Sleep, wouldn't that be awesome? How's it going to happen? No, you got it wrong there, Brian. Nice try, though. Thanks for playing. You'll get your gum later. Uh, No, uh, we need a political savior. We need to be like Israel when Jesus showed up the first time. And they rejected him because he came for a different purpose than what they wanted. What they wanted was somebody to save them from the oppression of the Romans and get this country turned around and this economy going again and our freedom. They rejected him. How many Christians today will put their backs to the wall hoping that, you know what's going to fix America? We just get a new president. It's too far gone, folks. Don't throw the baby out in the bathwater. I've said this before. I'm not saying don't get active in politics, but would you please give at least that much energy and effort to share in the gospel? If we're going to make a difference in America And if God truly has one genuine revival left up his sleeve before the hammer truly comes down, we don't need to be out there preaching a political savior. We need to be out there preaching the savior. And as you saw in this example, they were just handing out the gospel of John. One month, crime rates went down. What if this one church here in Las Vegas, Sunrise Baptist Church, got really serious Even more so than what we're already doing about sharing the gospel. What kind of effect would it have on our neighborhood? You want to clean up this neighborhood we're in? What do you do? Get busy sharing the gospel. Why? Because this book really did come from God, and therefore it has the power to change. This is what we need to preach. Amen? Well, hi. This is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question.